This is the Scottish Football Citizen, bringing you the best of Scottish football from the past. I'm Andy Kerr, and I'm joined this week by Mike Edwards, as we mark the 21st anniversary of one of the greatest Scottish Cup upsets of all time, as Inverness Caledonian Thistle beat Celtic 3-1 at Celtic Park on Tuesday the 8th of February 2000. I wanted to get a fan's perspective on events, and Mike certainly didn't disappoint. Before Andy's interview with Mike, we have this week's trivia question for you. Which team was the first to have a man sent off in the final of the Scottish Cup? We will give you the answer at the end of this podcast. So, first of all, how long have you been supporting Inverness? I would have been an Inverness Cali fan, that's uh, Caledonian, uh, rather than Cali Thistle fan, probably from the age of six or seven. And my father grew up uh, just off Telford Street in Inverness in the, in the 30s, 1930s. And Telford Street was named after Thomas Telford, who built the Caledonian Canal. And the the, the Cali Park, as we knew it, Telford Street Park was pretty much his playground. So he grew up as a Cali fan. And then as happened all over Europe, I suppose, uh, people were moved out of, of tenements and to into housing schemes. And he moved in the 30s to a place called the Ferry, Keswick Ferry in Inverness, which was a, a council housing scheme. Um, and that was the home, that area was the home of Clachnacudden, which was then one of Inverness's four Highland League teams. But because my dad had grown up on Telford Street, he was always a Cali fan. And I think as boys and girls do, they inherit their, their football team allegiance from their parents. And I knew nothing else really. Uh, those were the days when you would watch sports scene and Scott Sport on a Saturday and Sunday, and you'd get one Scottish game and one English game. But I would have been, without question, during the day on the Saturday, watching Cali, Caledonian, or Inverness Cali, home and or away. So they were my team from probably the age of six or seven. What were your views on the merger in the early 90s between Caledonian and Inverness Thistle? When you went to an Inverness derby, Cali against Clach was a big one. Cali against Thistle was a big one. Thistle against Clach was a big one. Cali against Ross County, even then, that was a huge rivalry in the 70s. You would sometimes get 10, 12, 15,000 fans. So that merger between Caledonian and Inverness Thistle was 25 years overdue, and it should have been done much, much earlier. And, and there's still a lot of anger in the Highlands that the, the executive of the league or the, or the SFA or whatever, the, the, the officials or the Blazers, however you want to call it, would rather admit Ferranti Thistle in the name of Medibank Thistle to the league rather than one team from the Highlands, which had a potential drawing force of tens, you know, 10, 15, 20,000 plus supporters because the Highlands is a huge football area. Now, sadly, you see the crowds at, um, well, Ross County are in the Premiership, so that's slightly different. But the Cali crowds, Cali Thistle crowds, are very poor. And, and that hurts me and that disappoints me. But a team from Inverness should have been in the Scottish League in 1975, without question. So the merger and joining the league 
was was 20, 25 years too late. And interestingly, I was at the meeting at Hamden in the suites over at the North Stand when there was a space opened up, when the league went to four divisions uh, and the space opened up and a, a proposal to admit one team from Inverness was agreed. And I remember that day, and I was there as a journalist, thinking, well, that's Cali in the, in the, in the league at long last. Okay. Yes, with Thistle, well, fair enough. A team from Inverness, my hometown, is in the Scottish League and about time too. It must have been a really, really proud day for you that day, just knowing that you would finally have a team for the yeah. city and for the region yeah. as well, to a lesser and, extent. You know, but, but, yeah, but that was the start of the journey because there was, you know, there were huge debates. And, you know, thankfully, there's not too many people left now, but there were lots of people at the time who, were, who said, I'll never go and see Cali Thistle. Because Inverness Thistle had a, a stadium, a ground, Kings Mills Park in Inverness, which was in a very affluent part of Inverness. Prime, prime territory for a, a nursing home, which is what it, it became. Cali had Telford Street Park, which was prime territory for, um, for retail. So there's a little there now. There's a, you know, totally understandable that, but there was a lot of friction at the time. Also, what were the team going to be called? Caledonian Thistle, Inverness Caledonian Thistle, Cali Thistle, Thistle Cali. You know, there was a, 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 that, that day, that afternoon at Hamden was the start of a very, very long and not always very comfortable journey. So moving on a bit, by this time, it's the season 99-2000. Cali have come up through the leagues from the first division into the second division. And now they're in their first season within the first division and you've drawn Celtic in the cup. What were your thoughts at the time of the cup draw? Well, that was seven or eight years into my career at STV, at Scottish Television. I had worked from 1990 to 93 as a journalist in Switzerland. I worked in uh, for the World Service of the Swiss Broadcasting Corporation. And when I got the job at STV in 93, I thought, well, this is it. This is where I want to be. This is my forever job. You know, this is going to be my career. I was 28. So, I was, you know, I was getting on in, in, the, in the business. And I can remember, went back to Glasgow, bought a flat, settled down, did all the sort of things that, you know, are expected of you. But because I was living in Glasgow, I couldn't get home as often as I would like to watch Cali. I had to work weekends sometimes. I had, uh, you know, I was studying for a degree part-time. I had joined the, the TA, the Territorial Army. I had, all my weekends were, were taken and I, I, I would struggle. I would only go back home to Inverness to watch Cali play in big cup games or in derby games against Ross County if they, you know, and they were great games. They were always, as I say, huge crowd, always great fun. But I would go to a many, as many of the away games as I could because it was easier to go to, you know, to East Stirling to watch Cali or to, or, you know, to Berwick as we did to watch Cali or to go to Dumbarton or, or, or the, the games that were within you know, an hour and a half from Glasgow and make a day out of it. So when Cali drew Celtic away in the cup that day or that season, this was like this was like a home game for me because it was like, you know, it was like half an hour away on the train, 20 minutes into town, we get the, the train out. And I, so the, you know, the anticipation from the moment those balls came out of the bag, I was like, this is just going to be fantastic. Now, were you at the original game on the Saturday when the match was postponed less than an hour before the kickoff. That Saturday, 
was something I'd been looking forward to for, you know, I mean, it was just something that built by the day. And I convinced four or five, actually, I'd got together a very good posse of my mates, none of whom were, were Cali fans. And I said, look, you know, we'll, we'll go for, we'll go for, we'll have a couple of beers at lunchtime, we'll go to the game, then afterwards we'll go, we'll go into Glasgow, we'll have a couple of drinks, then we'll go for a curry or we'll, go, we'll make a day of it. And they were like, right, okay, that'd be great. So we went to the Counting House pub, which was on George Square. Mm-hmm. And the weather was foul. And we had a couple of beers. I don't like drinking before a football match because you're invariably <laughs> freezing cold. You're desperate to go to the bathroom. Uh, you, when you, you go at halftime, there's a queue and, uh, and I just so, so I hadn't had, you know, uh, I think I had a couple of points. And then anyway, so we jumped, we all, two o'clock, we all jumped into a taxi on George Square. And uh, Celtic Park, please, mate. And the driver says, no, guys, uh, the game's off. And we were like, oh, yeah, come on, come on. This is a wind-up. Don't be daft, you know. And he said, oh, and I'll never forget, you leant forward with his left hand and turned up the volume on the, on, the, on the radio in the taxi. And sure enough, the game was postponed. So we all said, all right. So he drove us around George. I'll never forget this. He, he drove us around George Square and dropped us off back at the pub. We all gave him a few quid. <laughs> and we went straight back in the pub, and that was it. Because... I think the, I'm right in saying the, the storm, it was a vile day. The storm had um, dislodged a bit of the top of the stand and it was blowing in the wind. And had that blown off into this stand, it, it might have hurt somebody. Fair enough. We were all saying, but surely it's not, it's not, a, you know, there's no way this game's a sellout. No way. Could they not have just emptied that part of the stand and moved all the supporters into another part? But anyway, the game was postponed. And I think that's a good thing because I don't think had that game gone ahead on the Saturday, it would have been a different game. It was played in daylight. It was played in foul weather. The wind was swirling. Celtic were a hugely more professional and much fitter team than we were. Uh, And I think knowing cup ties in Scotland in the winter, as I do, I think we would have suffered really badly. But as it was, the game was postponed. You live to fight another day. We went down in midweek, floodlights. The manager was away. Kenny Douglas was away in Spain. The weather was was good. The park was great. It suited Cali. And, uh, well, well, the rest is history. Yeah. And I suppose you must have been uh, bolstered a wee bit by the fact that uh, in the time between the original date and the midweek game, which was something like nine or ten days later, that um, Celtic had lost at home to Hearts, despite being up at one point. You know, well, as somebody once said, it's a funny old game. The, the, you know, the runes, you read the runes, or you... You know, who's on form that day? Who's carrying an injury? Who's had a, an argument with their partner? Who's, who's, you know, all of these things came together. There was the whole thing at halftime in the Celtic dressing room, which without question helped Celtic. Kenny Douglas had gone to Spain. Now, whether he'd gone, you know, on holiday or whether he'd gone to, uh, you know, to play golf or whether he'd gone to negotiate the signings of other players, he would have been there on the Saturday but he wasn't there for the replay. And he'd said to John Barnes, there's the keys, get on with it. And I think they made the mistake. I don't think John Barnes fully appreciated what a Scottish Cup tie in the winter against a lower league opposition was all about. 
Yes, he, of course, he's played countless FA Cup ties in England in bad weather against lower league opposition. But I think he misunderstood the situation. And then when it all kicked off at, at halftime, when apparently, allegedly, Mark Viduka took his boots off and said, that's it, and all of that stuff, I don't think Barnes was really equipped. Could you imagine Kenny Dalglish being there? Could you imagine if that happened with Dalglish being there? No, no, absolutely not. I, th I think that obviously with Dalglish's leadership qualities, he would have just taken taken the situation by the scruff of the neck and gone, right, this is how we're going to play. But obviously, I mean, even, I forget which of the Celtic players it was, um, it might have been Jonathan Gould who just said that Barnes wasn't qualified um, in terms of how to take control of it. So you've got players bickering, Mark Viduka going off the nut at Eric Black for saying, oh, is it too cold? Do you know, fancy it tonight? Um, and if you've got a man of Douglas's calibre, they're going to shut up and they're going to listen to him. And apparently it was a very interesting thing. You know, I read somewhere that Ian Wright, I think had been on the bench and he was mm. he was sitting there at half time just watching this unfold thinking you know what on earth yeah and and he Barnes said to him right get stripped you're on and uh but Ian Wright who had, had been a professional in the English upper leagues for many years as long as Barnes had uh, probably and uh, just sat there in disbelief thinking what on earth is this so those yeah. players would go back out in the second half when you know, when, when, when a, a full-time professional team in the upper league plays a team from a lower league in the cup, even if they're both full-time, the fitness tells after, what, 65 minutes, 70 minutes? So you, you would think that Celtic would have gone out for the second half, 2-1 down, thinking, right, that's OK, we've got 45 minutes here, guys. We can just, you know, turn the screw a little bit every couple of minutes, and they would have won. But of course, yeah. Obviously, history didn't quite go to the script that night for Celtic. But um, when the the first goal for Cali went in, how did that feel? And then how did that feel? Did just when less than two minutes later, Celtic had got themselves back on a level footing. Two or three things. Um, in June 1982, I remember watching Dave Neary score a cracking goal in the World Cup finals in Malaga, I think for Scotland against Brazil. And it was a kind of goal that had you seen it from a player in the gold jersey at the other end, you would have thought, that's a great Brazil goal. But this was Scotland going one up against Brazil <laughs> in the World Cup. And my dear old dad turned to me and he said, oh man, way too early. We've just got them angry now. And of course, the roof fell in. When, when uh, Barry Wilson, and that was a great goal. And, and Wilson, with respect to him, was not a full centre forward header of the ball that you would expect from a player like Shearer. You know, it, Wilson was more of a wide player, very skillful, tricky, fast, great delivery, you know, great striker with the ball. But if you'd said to me he would score a centre forwards diving header ahead of a big centre back like Tabili, I'd have thought, nah, nah, he, he'd probably deliver the cross. But when that ball went in, I thought, well, it's a great goal, but it's only done one thing and that's got Celtic angry. And of course, Birchall then goes up the other end of the park. And I, where I was sitting in the stadium, I was behind, the, and I don't like being behind the goals uh, at football matches. I just, I, I like to be in the middle somewhere, high up. Uh, but I, where I was sitting, I could see Birchall got the ball on the edge of the box. 
he played the ball, and I think it was Stuart Golubek, who was a defender anyway, it, it, and it broke straight back to him. And he, he moved the ball out with his left foot. And as he did that, where I was sitting, I could see the line, and I could see there was a, you know, wasn't a huge gap, but there was a direct line into the corner of the goal. And Jimmy Calder, the, the Cali goalkeeper, was already, his weight, I think, shifted onto his right. And, of course, Birchall, who was a great striker. And, you know, he no slouch in a game like that, just straight as a die. The ball just went straight into the bottom corner. And then I thought, and that was what, I don't know, five, six, seven. I was early in the game and I thought, <laughs> and I thought here we go. This is what, you know, Roof's going to come in. Of course, it didn't take too much longer before you were ahead again via another goal. An interesting aside to uh, the second goal was an own goal by Lubomir Vanavchik, who was probably one of the most skillful players you will ever see. And sorry, Andy, this will hurt you, but I remember a very good friend of mine, Bill Austin, big Killy fan, big Killy fan. And I used to go to games with him. I've got pals who are Aberdeen fans and Motherwell fans. And if there were tickets going or do you fancy a day, I would go. And of course, Cali's my first love, but I, I love football. I'll go to see any game. And we were at Hamden one night and it was a Scottish Cup or League Cup semi-final. And Moravchik scored a goal with a header that was like, he. I, I can remember he sort of crouched his head down into his shoulders to guide this header into the net sort of diagonally across the goal rather than down and hard. It was a cushioned header. And he was just so skillful and so European. I, I like to think of footballers as, as, forgive me, you get British footballers, but you also get European footballers who play with that, just that something European. That, that. Anyway, I'd been a journalist at STV. The cry went up in the newsroom for anybody who could speak French. And I had just arrived in the STV newsroom from Switzerland where I could speak French. And Jim Delahunt, a very good friend of mine, was the sports editor, correspondent, presenter, journalist, whatever. And he said, look, Celtic, I've just signed this guy. And he's just come from, I think it was Bastia he played for, Maravchik. Uh, but his English isn't great, but he speaks fluent French. He's Slovakian, but he, his, his first language really is French. So I was like, okay. <laughs> and so... I went along to Celtic Park with Jim Delahunt. And this was before the days of, you know, when you go to football now, the clubs just clamp down on, you know, you, those news conferences are not the same. That, You know, it's just the, the club has all the control and it's difficult to try to get to players. But in those days, it was just like, and I think it was Jock Brown, I think was the general manager at the time. Hi, hello, Jim, Jim Delahunt. You want to interview Lubo? All right, on you come. So out we went, down the tunnel, out onto the park. Lubomir, Lubomir Moravchik was there. wasn't a big guy, quite broad, but clearly a professional athlete. I said, uh, bonjour, uh, Lubomir, je m'appelle Michel, je suis le traducteur pour mon ami Jacques Delahunt. De Il est redacteur de sport ici. Uh, and we spoke in, in, in French. And so we conducted the interview together. Jim asked me a question. Ask him, what does it feel like to be in Scotland? Alors, Lubomir, vous êtes content de, you know, all this. And it worked fine. And he was actually, because he wasn't speaking in English, which he was uncomfortable with, and speaking French, which he was comfortable with, and because I wasn't asking him like really difficult questions, he was actually just a bloke. You know, he's a, just a down-to-earth guy, a really, really nice guy. So anyway, the next time I had any contact with him was when he scored the own goal <laughs> for Cali against Celtic in that 
that that Scottish Cup tie. And I couldn't believe it. He said to me that day, he's going to score an own goal to win the cup for Cali, uh, win the cup tie for Cali into that goal. I would have gone, you've been put too much water in it, mate. Put more water in it. It really is a funny old game sometimes. So at half time, you're 2-1 up. Obviously, there's a rammy going on in the changing room in comparison. We didn't know any of that. Yeah. Didn't know, of course. But what, what was the atmosphere like in both the away end and the home end at that time? I can imagine the home end might have been a wee bit disgruntled given everything that had happened with Celtic's season up to that point. I, I, I've, if I'm being honest, Andy, I can't recall the fans, the Celtic fans getting disgruntled until a lot later. And I think it was before the third goal, but Charlie Christie had a just absolutely, you know, kingpin midfield creator. He just controlled that game. He, you know, distribution, vision, passing, movement. In, and, and it wasn't until to the end of that period of, 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 um, of, of Cali dominance that you set, and because it wasn't a huge crowd. Yeah. You know, had it been the Saturday game, it would have been a bigger crowd. But, you know, a lot of people, ah, the weather's not great. <sighs> Cali, oh, they'll beat them, we'll no go. But, you know, there was enough of a crowd there to make it known that they were they were deep. And then, of course, the third goal went in and that was it. When Celtic conceded the penalty for the third goal, I take it there must have been like wild jubilation knowing that you had Paul Sheeran, who is a fantastic penalty taker, there to really kind of hammer the nail in the coffin. Yeah, and, and, you know, when the penalty was conceded, uh, I, I don't think very frequently down my footballing life I've had to watch things through my fingers, but at that moment, you know, that certainly was. Because if, if Sheeran had not scored and there wasn't much left on the clock, but you know it's Celtic and Rangers, I know, you know, any big... Um, professional top flight team you know it, they would just grind you down until the last second is played and, and I, I was certain that um, you know even though Celtic had, had absolutely faltered and Cali were all over them it was still 2-1 and if he didn't score that penalty there was a chance and if it went to another you know to another game to a replay there's no way Celtic were going to lose and it was one of those moments where you just <laughs> like that and uh, and of course when he scored, and then when the full-time whistle went, and when all the players did the, you know, they all lined up and went into the corner where the, the Cali fans were. Ah, man, you know, just, that's just, you know, goosebumps. Goosebumps here, Andy. Yeah, <laughs> that, that brings me on quite nicely to my next question. How did you celebrate your win? I know that had the game gone ahead on the original Saturday, you'd have been going out for a couple of drinks and then a curry and then whatever happened afterwards. But given it was a midweek night, a school night, as it were, how did you celebrate? Well, in those days, you would set your video and you'd go home and you'd watch the game on the telly. And and because it was a school night and I'd work the next day, I thought, well, there's no way we're going to go, you know, crazy. And I think from memory, the pals that I went with, on, in fact, that's true, the, the pals I went with to the midweek game there was a couple of them who were different from the pals I was going to go to the original game with because of family commitments, of work commitments. And there's one girl in particular I went with uh, who was a Celtic fan. And she said, oh, I'll go. Because <laughs> she was she was crestfallen. I mean, she was distraught. 
and uh, so I didn't, you know, we didn't really go, <laughs> go, go, go to town. And I can remember going home to my flat, getting, you know, tin of beer out of the fridge, putting the video on, and this, this, you know, I had been in television. I'd worked in television long enough to know that as I watched the highlights on BBC Scotland that night, which was, I think, half past 10 or something, which was still quite close to the end of the game, and watching that programme, and I think I still have the VHS tape somewhere, that they had had to take the plan for the programme and throw it out and take plan B off the shelf and try and work it because the Cali Celtic game was not their first choice commentary match for the highlight package that night. Now, I don't know who Rangers were playing. I don't know if there was a, you know, a Dundee, Dundee United game, Hearts, Hibs game that looked like a better cup tie. I can't remember. I can tell you just off of this, I know that BBC Radio Scotland originally were doing a replay between Aberdeen and St Mirren and 70 minutes into that game, they had they decided to change because it was so momentous. They said, right, we're going to Celtic Park for the last 20 minutes. And even though there wasn't that much happened, they still changed it and suddenly their guys had to suddenly be a summariser now as a commentator. And um, that's probably what happened. Well, if you if you look at that BBC broadcast, they started with the extended highlights of the Cali of the Celtic Cali game, and Chick Young, who, with respect to Chick, was never really a you know an actual commentator of matches. He was clearly a journalist and a reporter and a summariser and all the rest of it. But they had they had got the um, the highlights from Celtic Park. They put that at the top of the program, and Chick Young had done the the, the voice for it. And whatever the other game, which was their original first choice, had, had been shunted back to, you know, edited highlights at the end. And, and it was when I sat down and watched that program, I realized the enormity and I realized how much in control Cali were. Yes, I'd been at the game. Yes, I'd seen it. But it wasn't until I actually saw and heard Chick Young talking about Charlie Christie, just step overs and just, you know, how, you know, how far, even though it was only 2-1, you know, Celtic just weren't at the at the races. And it was then that you noticed the, the disgruntlement among the Celtic fans. So with your uh, work at STV, did you have to do any coverage of the game afterwards? And if so, was it difficult to try and stay professional given it was such a momentous victory? I was fortunate in my career at STV, 26 years, and I was generally um, a news reporter, a hard news reporter. Because Scotland is Scotland, I'm afraid I did quite a lot of crime. Uh, and so I was always seen hanging around the courts or, or crime scenes or whatever. Um, I very seldom did politics, very seldom. And I very, very seldom did sport. Um, and in a way, that was a blessing because I, it's a, if, when people say, oh, you're a, you're a sports supporter, the, the, the one thing they always say is, oh, you can get into football matches free. And I think, well, okay. Um, so what? But then, you know, when you're a sports reporter, it's a very difficult, it's a totally different world. And, and the, the sports media uh journalists and the sports press journalists don't really mix there there's a lot of and it's just an atmosphere that 
I never really enjoyed. And when I was a young journalist, I wanted to be a sports reporter. And I was. But the minute I became a sports reporter, I realized that what I loved about football disappeared. So the short answer to the question you asked was the next day I had gone into work and I hadn't had too much to drink the night before. I had just, I was still thinking about the game and that's fine. And I went into work that next day at STB fully intending to be sent to the high court or to the sheriff court or to a crime scene somewhere or to go and do a story about a cat up a tree or whatever. And the producer and the news editor said, Mike, you're a football fan. Uh, we want you to do the Celtic story today because obviously there's, you know, and the fallout was starting to, you know, be felt. This is before social media. It was in the papers that there had been this, you know, this bust up at halftime, etc. So there was a story brewing. And I couldn't believe it because I was thinking, how? And, you know, I've got to declare an interest here. I was, I've got a bit of a hoarse throat this morning because I was shouting for Cali. But of course, it being a Glasgow-based TV station where half of your viewers supported Rangers, the other half supported Celtic pretty much. You had to be really, really careful. And I couldn't believe it that they were sending me out on this story, but they did. And of course I couldn't say no. You don't say no when you're sent out on a story. And um, I went out, the easy thing to do was get box pops from fans. Well, they weren't hanging back, were they? Uh, you know, the club weren't saying too much. And, and then it emerged later that Doug Leash had been in Spain and he'd been box popped at the airport do you like my suntan? And, and, you know, oh, I mean, these news stories started to emerge and I couldn't believe it. And I was trying hard to, you know, get my head around all of this, but you had to maintain a professional demeanor, bearing, you couldn't make any snide comments in voiceovers or scripts. You couldn't declare your own interest. And um, nowadays on social media, you would have been absolutely flayed. Oh, why, why is Mike Edwards doing that story? He's a Cali man, you know what I mean? So, you know, we, it was much easier to do that then. And two things, everyone was comparing it to the, you know, it was the biggest ever shock in Scottish football history in the cup, the biggest giant killing. Well, was it Berwick against Rangers? Cali were in the first division. Cali were doing well in the first division. Cali had a really good team. So was it a huge, you know, was the result a huge shock? Well, yes, but, but Celtic had been really poor that night. Celtic didn't deserve to win that game. So actually, on balance, was it really that much of an upset? And then, of course, that night, John Barnes got sacked. And it became, you know, whatever you think, that's somebody's livelihood. And whatever, however much money he's got in the bank, I have no idea. But that's somebody's job gone. And, and I think Douglas went at the end of the season. So, you know, it became very quickly something else and then of course everyone's building Cali up for the next big giant killing episode in the cup but of course you know they didn't they didn't go any further than that and you know it was the moment it was a super Cali go ballistic it was the headline in the paper and it was the players for me all running into the corner that, 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 that is the highlight. In terms of Scottish Cup moments for Cali Thistle how does this rank for you? Obviously, you've got the Cup win in 2015. You had another Super Cali moment against Celtic a few years later. But how does this rank for you? Hey, it's unlikely my wife will be watching or listening to this, but I, I always say that, you know, the three greatest days of my life. Number one, our wedding. Uh, number two, the Cali Falkirk Cup final in 2015, which is without question the greatest day of my life. No question. Uh, and And you know, after that, uh, by a short 
by a nose is the Super Cali Globalistic night. Because, of course, you know, Cali beat Celtic, but they went on to the next next game, and you know, well, clearly they, they didn't progress very far in the competition. Of course, it's a great scalp, and it's a great memory. You know, here we are, 21 years on, talking about it. But, you know, forevermore, Cali will have been noted down in history as the winners of the Scottish Cup in 2015. And that is, you know, for, for me, coming from Inverness, growing up there, watching Inverness, Cali, and Thistle in the Highland League, you know, playing against the occasional big game, big name team in the cup, but, you know, usually getting a bit of a, a you know, a hard, a hard result. But now the team from the town won the cup. Ah, you know, and they may never win anything ever again. May not. May never get back to the Premier League again. May not. They won the cup in 2015. That's a good way to look at it. Um, and I think that a lot of fans of clubs out with the old firm will probably think similarly. Um, lastly, how did that win contribute towards the growth of football in the Highlands? And do you think that that win and the enormity of it, you know, taking the scamp off a of Celtic, changed the perception of people in the Highlands about football who may have gravitated towards other traditional sports like Shinty? Yeah, I don't know. I think the Highlands has always been a big football territory. It's always been. Inverness had four teams in the Highland League. Four. Uh, you know, Cali, Clach, Thistle, and a team called Citadel, um, which went defunct. Uh, you know, Cali and Ross County, there's, there's geographically not a huge distance. And, and I should have said this earlier, actually, Andy, but, you know, after... Cali Thistle were admitted to the league. The league, in their wisdom, and I'm not, you know, fair play to Elgin and Peterhead and Huntley, and, and you know, these teams got into the Scottish League. Well, if these teams could get into the Scottish League now, when their fan base is pretty low, why could Inverness not have put a team into the Scottish League in 1973, 1974? Even if it meant a merger, which, you know, was hurtful. It was damaging. It was, you know, I and this is very petty of me. I I still struggle to say Cali Thistle. It'll always be Cali to me, and I'll have friends who always say it's Thistle to them. And you would, you don't really hear it now, but for a long time you would hear the Cali Thistle fans singing, and one section of the ground would go Cali, another section of the ground would go Thistle. You don't really hear it now, but it, you know, for a long time that was a a real, a real you know, boundary. But, you know, Inverness is a very different place now. The answer to your question is, I think it was much bigger in the media and much bigger uh, in the in the league, you know, the corridors of power of, of Hamden than it was really in the Highlands. I think it probably did us no harm profile-wise when it came to applying to join the league when when they decided to expand and to admit other teams, um, but I still I still think the Highlands was a big enough sporting region of Scotland to support uh, football certainly rugby yes and and shinty as well. Uh, I keep coming back to this. It should have happened twenty five years earlier. I'm in agreement with you. Um, from my um, let's just say work as a historian. Um, I always find it interesting looking at um, 
say, newspapers from the 60s, 70s, when you've got um, the Highland League page. And I'm just thinking, when you see teams like Caledonian or Inverness Thistle or Ross County or even Elgin, you're thinking, you know, those are those are proper league teams now. And to me, being born in the early 90s and growing up with, you know, I've only ever really known a four-division set-up. Yeah. To me, it just seems right that those teams are there. And I'm in yeah. complete agreement with you. I think it should have been a longer time ago, but that's, I suppose, a, a debate for a different day. I was at the first Inverness Caledonian Thistle game against Livingston, their first game in the Premier League at, at Almondvale. And um, two things. One, I thought, what a, what a day, what a day. And I'd just come back from Iraq where I'd been serving in the, in the, in the army as a, as a reservist. And I, I, I'm thinking, what a world. You know, Cali are in the top league. Absolutely fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. But my goodness me, did Livingston just take us to pieces? I think it was 3 nothing, and it could have been 12. It was just, and I remember sitting there thinking, you know, this is where we want to be. But my goodness me, we're going to have to, we're going to have to get our finger out. If we want to stay in this league, we need to change. And as I, as we were walking out of the stadium at the end, this Cali fan looked at me and I looked at him and said, oh, and he went, yeah, they showed us the road home. And I remember thinking, what a great, what a great saying, the road home. And then about, I don't know, 15 years later, I wrote a book, <laughs> which is semi-autobiographical. Uh, and it's about Inverness. And it's about a journey across America via five towns called Inverness. And I called it the road home. Because for me, as you've probably gathered, Inverness is my, you know, sadly, I don't live there now, but it's my home and it always will be. And I thought that was a great, and that's where that saying came from. Oh, they showed us the road home. But I was at that game. I was at the Cali uh, Celtic game that we're talking about and obviously at the cup final. And the crowds were huge. All these amazing Cali fans that were there by the thousands. You go to a home game now, it's a very, very different story. And that really saddens me that a town with a large enough population cannot you know, if not fill that stadium every week, then certainly have many thousands more people going. And I think that's heartbreaking. What's the one thing you're most looking forward to about getting back to games when we're allowed to go? I mean, how long have you got? I think just getting out into the fresh air, being with your mates, being physically close to your pals, um, you know, getting on the train, going for a going for a curry afterwards, going for a couple of beers, just the, I think the physicality and also just getting out into the fresh air. And there's no question that this is the right thing to do at the moment. We know, I mean, I was watching the rugby there at the weekend. I was just thinking, well, you know, it's all very well and great that Scotland won and all that, but you know, all these people close together, there will still be hundreds of people at that stadium as there will be at football matches, mm -hmm. technicians, riggers, camera operators, sound engineers, vision mixers, studio controllers, directors, producers, club officials, the players, you know, directors, there'll still be hundreds and hundreds of people there. And I, I, I think that is still, a, we are still at a very difficult stage of this whole pandemic. And, and you know, that's bad enough, far less having 20, 30, 40,000 people at a stadium. And it's just, uh, you know, it's very difficult to, to get your head around the fact that you're watching a, a game with 22 players on it and you see a couple of people in a dugout with masks and sitting in the stands. 
behind the scenes, there's lots more. I don't think that's a good thing. I think I have to agree with you. Um, but anyway, Mike, thanks very much for talking to us. My and, pleasure. Um, hopefully, if there's anything Callie related in the future, we'd love to talk to you again. I'd that be honoured. Absolutely honoured. And uh, everybody stay safe. At the start of the podcast, we asked you the question, which team was the first to have a man sent off in a Scottish Cup final? The answer is Rangers. The player in question was Jock Buchanan, who played right half in the 1929 final against Kilmarnock, who beat Rangers 2-0 to pull off a shock victory. Jock Buchanan started his football career playing for Johnston before moving to local rivals St Mirren. He also had spells with Greenock Morton, Linfield and East Stirling. Jock also won two international caps for Scotland. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Scottish Football Citizen. Subscribe to us on your favourite podcast platform so you never miss an episode. And join us again next week when we'll be looking back at more of the best of Scottish football from the past. The Scottish Football Citizen is written, edited and produced by Andy Kerr for Football Memories Scotland in association with Alzheimer Scotland and the Scottish Football Museum. Additional contributions from Robert Harvey, Jim Orr and Richard McBrearty. Special thanks to Mike Edwards for taking the time to speak to us.